Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Tyler Heaps, an American who's the head of sporting technology and insights for AS Monaco and formerly the director of sporting analytics for U.S. Soccer. We've had some great guests lately, including Efan Okoku, Paco Villa, and Shola Winley, so check those out. Now, here's my interview with Tyler Heaps. Our guest now is Tyler Heaps. He's an American who's currently the head of sporting technology and insights for AS Monaco. Before that, he spent five and a half years with U.S. soccer, where he became the director of sporting analytics. Tyler, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Grant. Lots to talk about here because it's only been a few months since you went to Monaco and you actually were on a panel with me that I moderated up at the Sloan Conference, uh, Analytics Conference up in Boston a while back, and I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot about what it is that you do and, and your colleagues even more. But at the time, I wouldn't have necessarily predicted you would go to Monaco. So why did you decide to, to join AS Monaco? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I it seems like that was much longer ago than it probably was when we were at Sloan and just talking about the beginning of COVID, if we could shake people's hands or not. Um, <laughs> but no, everything, to be honest, it seemed like the world stopped for a few months and then everything started to move very quickly again. So for me, it uh, came about pretty quickly. Conversations probably started towards the end of the year, whenever um, leagues started back up again um, and the world started to open back up and seemed like a great opportunity and just something I wanted to explore. And I think part of the reason too, with the way COVID hit international soccer was definitely probably harder than most. And so some of the camps were still very up in the air about what was going to happen and what programming was gonna look like. And thought what better time than to uh, make the move across the world than now. It's it's really interesting. And in the project I've read about quite a bit now at Monaco, could you give our listeners an idea of sort of what the project is and and who's involved with it there? Yeah, I think what really excited excited me about this is it's just it's a new chapter I think in the club um, with the leadership that they brought in, but also the investment that the club um, has put forth here. So we're about to open up, or we just opened up a fifty five million dollar training ground that overlooks the French Riviera. So you can't beat that in terms of location. Uh, a little bit different than Soccer House in Chicago, but I'm not complaining too much about that. Um, and then at the end of the day, there's just really, in my opinion, really good, smart people. And I've always tried to surround myself with the smartest people. And if you've got people that have done it before, how can I learn from them? And I'm at the stage, I think, in my career where I'm trying to learn as much and take in as much information as possible. And um, the more I can do it from experts and guys like Paul Mitchell, Lauren Stewart, James Bunce. Um, there's just a lot of really good, smart people here that um, allow me to grow, I think. And I think that was the biggest attraction to me is to see and hear them talk about this project um, and the chance to obviously for me to go abroad and to learn a new culture, but also learn how club football works um, was really intriguing and exciting at the time. And um, so here I am. So Paul Mitchell is the sporting director of Monaco, James Bunce, who used to be with U.S. Soccer, is the director of performance. Um, where have the? Can you explain like where have those guys been before they came to Monaco? Yeah, I think there's. Uh, they've been at a lot of clubs for sure. They were both at Southampton together. Um, it's amazing how small the football world is. I think not only I think in the U.S., which we found out and and kind of cross paths quite often, but in the world. 
Um, and those were guys, obviously, that I've come across their path at conferences and so forth um, whenever I was traveling over here with uh, when I was at the Federation. And um, so Paul is a guy that's obviously been um, to quite a few big clubs. He was at Southampton. He's a former player, obviously, um, was at Tottenham, was at Leipzig and oversaw kind of that Red Bull project. Um, James, obviously, who people probably know very well on this on that side of the world, uh, was at Southampton as well, was at the Premier League for a little bit and then uh, made the move over and was at U.S. Soccer and somebody I worked very closely with for three years. And then we've got other guys in the club that have been at Celtic, that have been at Everton, at Man City. So for me, it's kind of a, a rare opportunity just to pick their brains. And they've worked with unbelievable coaches. They've worked with unbelievable players. So how I can try to figure out one, what they've done in the past, but how I can try to bring my skill set to help, whether it's enhance or innovate or improve or um, any of those things, just to open up those conversations, I think is, is really important for me. Could you sort of, I guess, answer the question for our listeners? What is your skill set? What do you do there? Oof, um, skill set's not much. Uh, no, well, <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a finance guy. So I was a math and computer science guy uh, at university. Um, played football, soccer my whole life. Um, coached it a, a little bit after I graduated. Was still trying to play um, and stay in shape a little bit. Um, and then when I went to the federation, I think it was a a newer department at the time of um, analysis and research. And I think as as any um, company is trying to do these days. There's so much technology data out there. It's about how can you consolidate it and help try to make better decisions off of it. Um, so part of my job, obviously, it's kind of a jack of all trades. So whether that's centralizing the data and getting it into one place so that you can make it easily digestible, whether it's making dashboards or presentations that allow you to try to analyze it to make decisions off of it. Um, so there's a number of different things I think that my day-to-day -day looks like. But at the end of the day, it's about how can we try to use the technology and data available um, to help enhance the club in whether it's from a development or performance uh, or so forth kind of type of view. So my role is a little bit unique here in that I sit across kind of recruitment analysis as well as performance. Um, so it's about there's obviously so many technology and data providers out there, I think. A lot of people are starting to compare sports a little bit to kind of like a startup technology company because um, there's new and th new and innovative things coming out every day, it seems like. Um, so it's about one, how can we make sure that we're utilizing the right software for our club and for our needs? Uh, and then it's about how can we start to implement some of that stuff into our processes so that um, whether we're making quicker decisions or whether we're making better decisions. So uh, it's all encompassed, I think. I've only been here for four months, so it's still kind of a, a learning, uh, learning as I go. But um, it's obviously really exciting to be able to, one, figure out how they've done some things before and how I can try to mix my skill set in there and uh, help out the club. And I know that one sort of issue at clubs, and this is basically the case all over Europe or anywhere for that matter, is for someone who does what you do, it's really important to have people at the club who listen to you and you know, maybe not accept everything you're throwing out there, but at least consider it. And and I, I've met some analytics guys, really talented people over time who have been frustrated at certain clubs with the manager not being interested in using their, their insights or, or what have you. Like, do you feel good about Monaco being a place where what you do gets listened to? 
Yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that it can be like that in any position. Uh, and a lot of it's about obviously how you approach yourself and how you carry yourself. And I think the number one thing I've learned in sports is that relationships go a long way. So trying to listen first has always been my approach. And so when I got over here, the first thing I tried to do for the first couple of weeks, month, while it was a different language sometimes, but um, whenever I could get people to speak English, it was to try to listen to them and figure out one, what are your, what's taking you a long time? What are you trying to do? What have you seen that you would like to do? Um, so the biggest thing for me, I think, and in, in any position is when you get over there, it's about listening first and being able to adapt to what they're telling you. And I think um, a lot of the, about the, going back to the project, in those early conversations with the guys at the club, um, they, they're not an expert, I think, in this area. And they've seen things and they've used things at some of the clubs they've been to, but they also wanted to take it on board because Monaco is a very unique club in the way that it's set up. And so the more that we can try to take advantage from competitively to a development standpoint um, and across the board, it was something that really intrigued me. And in every conversation I had, it, I was never in a position where I was like, I don't think, I think I'm gonna go there and nothing's really gonna work out because it's about listening, adapting, and then trying to figure out where you can fit yourself into, whether it's automate things, whether it's create different, ask different questions, um, whether it's bring a different viewpoint. I think that's important. And I think there's the way that you position yourself. People are always open to new ideas. It's just about how you present them. No, it's really interesting. I, I mean, Monaco is a, a team that has a club that has a great history, obviously. If you go back years and years, Arsene Wenger, Thierry Henry, you know, a bunch of great youth development took place at that club. Um, you know, Kylian Mbappe in recent years and going very deep in Champions League, but then right after that, nearly getting relegated, and then you're back in the title race this past season, uh, which was a great title race with four teams uh, in France. Like, so what's sort of the current philosophy of, of the club in terms of, trying to maybe not have as many extremes <laughs> moving forward. Yeah, I think the direction and vision that we're going on here is about how can we get back to, to European um, competition? How can we get back to being one of those European mainstays? And then how can we consistently perform? Um, and how can we make sure that that drop off doesn't happen again? Uh, and I think that that's doing so, I think, revolves a similar way that the club has done so in the past. The club has done an unbelievable job in terms of youth development, in terms of buying players and selling players on. I think that's the intriguing part as well, that um, we were the third youngest team in the big five this year, and we were in the title race in France. So like, that's obviously a, a major achievement, especially with a new staff and a new sporting director and things like that. So I think there's not only a clear identity in terms of how we want to build players and how we want to develop them, but there's also about how we want to play. And I think that's really important in a position like mine is because the more that I can have a clear understanding, I think the more I can help benefit those that I'm, that I'm working with. And whether that's from an analysis standpoint, we're looking at ourselves, um, or whether it's a recruitment standpoint and we're looking for players that could possibly make our team better, the more clear identity that you have from leadership, I think, the more that I can try to assert myself and try to find objective information to make that to 
uh, evaluate ourselves, I think is probably the best way to put it. So the project is definitely, um, which obviously return to European competition, we can kind of put a check mark there, get back on the podium in France. Obviously we can put a check mark there, but I think there's uh, still quite a bit of work that needs to be done. And um, that's, I think, another really exciting part about the project here is that the people that you work with, you can see there's just a desire to get, continue to get better. Um, and to be in a position like this for me is, again, back to how can I learn from these people, but also how can I kind of take all of this in? Because it's way different, I think, now at the club realm than it was at the international game, just in terms of how the setup and structure is. You know, it's interesting to me, like, you haven't been there long, so there's there's that sort of adjustment process. And then the season has now just ended and we're heading toward a transfer window. Uh, how much has your job changed? Like, how much does your day-to-day job change once the season ends? I'm figuring that out, I think, every day right now. Um, <laughs> but no, I think that's... Uh... That is probably the most different and unique thing that from now and uh, when I was at the Federation is that, especially from a recruitment standpoint, right? Yes, you can quote unquote recruit players and scout players, I think at the international level, but you also have a fixed player pool. And here there's not that fixed player pool anymore. So it's about obviously how can we start to globally look at what's out there and how can we improve our teams? And I think it's no secret that every team in, in Europe and the world is constantly trying to improve. Um, and there is plenty of new technologies out there. There's plenty of new data sources out there. So how can we as a club, um, especially this summer, not only take those data sources in and house them, but also make insights off of them. So I think during the beginning of this summer, it's going to be busy um, and as expected, because I think that we are in a position where we will look to improve the squad this summer. And um, with more games next season coming and obviously a condensed schedule again. Um, it's about trying to make sure that we are well prepared to not only be in a similar position to hopefully finish on the podium again in the league, but also to make it a challenge and a run at Europe again. So um, my job, I think, is will be very busy this summer into preseason uh, because now I think with the cadence of games that happened when I got here, it was difficult to really dig into the analysis and things like that about how are we preparing for the next opponent or how are we preparing for a 10 game review? So now this summer, it's about how can we make sure everything is in line so that next year that stuff's running smoothly and we can concentrate on the insights as opposed to the data hygiene and cleansing aspect of it. So let's imagine for a second that we were at an analytics conference and that the listeners were more steeped in this than maybe your average lay person. What would you say is sort of cutting edge right now in the soccer analytics field? What's what's new and exciting to you? Uh, the easiest answer is, is probably just to use a data source and say tracking data or something like that, or the new innovations that are coming from event data. Um, and I think that those are um, those are exciting for the field because it brings about a new way to look at things. Um, and I think from our side of things, it gives you just a more holistic picture of what's happening on the field. Um, historically, obviously, event data, just look, there's about anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 events in a game, and you're getting what's happening on the ball. But as everybody knows, there's a lot more happening in the game that's off the ball, um, that's just, I mean, last night's game of U.S.-Mexico, there was a lot more happening, right? That's not directly happening of a pass or a shot or so forth. So I think not only... There's more of that, but it's the cutting edge piece, I think, is about how you're utilizing it and how you're trying to fit a game model or how you're trying to fit it into more of a stylistic standpoint so that you can 
put it in coach's terms. Um, so the more context that continues to come out around the data, I think the more that this field will continue to grow and allow practitioners like myself um, and others to be able to implement that in a similar uh, way and manner that coaches um, would expect, I think. So now you're starting to look at off-ball runs. Now you're starting to look at runs in behind. Now you're starting to look at physical output. You're starting to look at the correlation between leagues and the and is there something there? Is there not there for transfer windows? So there's a lot more that's coming, and the more um, the the better off the, and the better ways that clubs can start to utilize it. I think that's the cutting edge piece. And how much interaction do you have with? Nico Kovac, the manager, his his staff, is it is there direct contact? Is it more sort of they read things you write or how does that work? Yeah, we have an analyst coach, um, which I think a lot of clubs are now and even federations are starting to go to. So um, a guy that was at Man City that has now come over at the beginning of the season that uh, another somebody else that Paul and Oleg had brought in. Um, so a lot of that conversation goes to them. So we're talking to him all the time. He's a guy that has a heavy analysis background, understands data. So a lot of the times it's them coming up, asking about specific questions around that. Um, we're trying to obviously fit, whether it's a question that Nico's asking, whether it's a thought that he has, whether it's something that we see um, that we think we can optimize or, or enhance in the team. Um, so I think that those uh, informal conversations are happening and we're happening every single day and will continue to happen next year. So. He's a, he's a guy that obviously we pass all the time at the training ground, um, but in terms of how we're getting and utilizing our work across, more and more clubs I think are going to these specialized coaches and one of them that we have in our staff is an analyst coach and he's somebody that's on the field delivering sessions and delivering some of the stuff that we're doing so that we can try to obviously get direct access to the players as well as the coaching staff. Um, and those conversations are happening all the time. Have there been any moments, I, I, I'm because I don't experience what you're experiencing. Like you're at a club situation now, so it's not a federation situation like with U.S. soccer. Like you have games every week. Is there ever a moment during a game when you have sort of a fist pump moment based on something you're seeing that's connected to an insight you had that maybe the rest of the crowd might not be fist pumping as much, but you are? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think... I get this a decent amount from people that are looking to get in the industry. They ask me like, has the game changed for you? And do you watch the game differently? Um, and I think that over the last probably five, six years, as I get more inclined in the industry, like, yeah, I obviously look at the game a bit differently in terms of what people are doing and do I think it's optimal or not. Um, it's hard to pinpoint one moment. Um, there's obviously a number of different things that uh, whenever you do and spend a lot of time I'm doing, whether it's a specific analysis or whether it's on a player or so forth, and you see them do something good or you see something pay off, obviously it's a moment that you like to take and um, kind of motivates you to keep going and drive forward. So there's always things that happen throughout the game, whether it's throw-ins or set pieces, or like there's a number of different areas I think that this field is starting to impact and continuing to impact. So when you see it happen, it's kind of like a told you so moment, but there's also now more and more of those, I think that will start coming out and the game will start shifting more and more. Where are we headed? Cause I remember during world cup 2018, which is three years ago now, I, I, I did uh, a magazine feature story on set pieces and sort of how that was becoming a, a, a such a, a bigger part of the game, or at least being paid attention to more across the game. Is, is that still the case? And are there any other 
areas like that that are starting to get more attention that maybe didn't as much in the past? Yeah, I think set pieces continues to expand. I mean, I think it started with something where you looked at a set piece as a corner kick, and then now it's kind of expanded to throw-ins, and how can you get the ball to the other side of the field, or how can you press a throw-in and try to turn it into a transition moment? There's goal kicks, are obviously, with the new goal kick rule, it seems like it's crazy what teams are trying to do and trying to implement whenever they're 120 yards away from the goal. Um, so that, I think, will continue to twirl, and I think that some teams and clubs probably haven't taken that on yet and I think we'll continue to do I think in the international game it's a no-brainer in terms of how that approach is but I also think just when you look at general style I mean you look at what Barnsley did this year in the championship right that's not a unique style or that's quite a unique style in terms of how they're playing and they're one of the clubs that I think is is known for um, having obviously a strong backing in this field and they're trying to get the ball up the field as quickly as possible to put pressure on the opponent and I think that more and more of that will start happening Um, And I think some of that has to do with investment and what you have available. And some of it has to do with just style and trying to win games. Um, And I think it's a very results driven um, field and the better off that you can put yourself in that situation and take less risk. And um, I think areas like that will continue to come out. And I think Barnsley is a unique example, but I do think there's other teams that are starting to do similarly. I mean, Burnley have been in the Premier League doing something similar now for um, quite a few years and have kind of established themselves. So it's about trying to find something that you can do well and that fits um, and then trying to make the most out of it. And I think that data is and objective information has kind of turned that into a reality. Kind of a random question, but if you've been to Sloan, you know, Daryl Morey, who organized, co-organized that conference from the start. NBA guy, uh, very into analytics. When he was at Houston, they developed a very clear way of approaching things where it was either layups or three-pointers. Like there was basically no in-between. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge NBA guy these days, but I know there was some criticism over just whether that was aesthetically pleasing to watch. <laughs> Uh, in basketball terms, and you mentioned Barnsley, and I would get excited watching Barnsley because Daryl DK was scoring goals for him. But there has been some criticism about their aesthetics and how they play the game in the style which is being influenced by analytics. Is that something that's on your radar at all, or do you even care, or like have you paid any attention to this conversation? No, it's an interesting one. And I think that for me, well, one, being in a club, winning cures all. So any way that you can win, I think, you go and win. And I think that that will take away how good it looks on your eye if you end up winning the game. And I think that that's probably the case at Barnsley, but also at a number of different places. Um, And I also think that there's just, at the end of the day, it's about how can you give your best chance to win. And no discredit to Barnsley, an unbelievable, obviously, club but they can't go play man city toe for toe probably just because of a number of different things Whether you look at wage bill etc so i think that yes it's probably not ideal you'd probably much rather watch the ajax of the late days or the barcelona's etc but also it's difficult to watch those teams against a low block struggle to break break teams down so i think that there's probably a few different ways to that you can look at it and at the end of the day, from my standpoint, it's nothing on my radar because no matter where you are, if you're winning, everybody's happy and it doesn't really matter how you're doing it. So it's about getting it back to that point in terms of how can you give yourself the best chance to win and to be successful. 
we have a lot of listeners who are college students and are always interested in sort of finding out how how do they get to do what you do? And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit of your path to getting into this field and getting like sort of your experience as well, just U.S. soccer um, and shed some light on that. Yeah, for sure. I think one, I have always loved the game of soccer. I think it's something I've played now since I've been extremely young. It was always something that obviously I wanted to play professionally when I got older. Um, that uh, in probably probably before college quickly figured out that I, that wasn't going to be the case. So it's about how there are other ways to get into the field. Um, I've always been somebody who has um, paid attention to box scores in the newspapers and things like that growing up, like obviously the very basics, but it was always something that I was extremely intrigued in. So when I got to school, it was about, okay, um, how can I utilize that skill set to try to make a career out of it? Moneyball came out when I was a sophomore, so that all kind of built fuel to the fire. Um, and so from there, I, I obviously majored in math and computer science, which is a was I'm not gonna say relatively new field at the time, but I think my graduating class was six people in, on the computer science side. So a very small tenure, I think it's starting to grow and there's also starting to turn into sports analytics degrees and things like that and specialty programs, which is a massive step, I think, from where I was 10 years ago. Um, and so from there, obviously, I just tried to stay involved in the game of soccer as much as I possibly could. So I coached at a university, I coached in the pre-academy. I was still trying to play a little bit, trying to make as many, um, connections as I could, because I think at the end of the day, it's probably about who you know um, along the way, especially in a field like this, um, and just trying to get an opportunity. So it was something where I went into finance. I was there for two and a half years, um, learned a ton about the business side of things, about how you can use objective information to um, set your pricing and to set commissions and so forth, which is something obviously that probably wouldn't have interested me as I was sitting in a, coll in a college class, but ended up now, even to today's day, um, continues to help me in this space. Uh, and then got really lucky at U.S. Soccer and got an interview. And I think the biggest thing that I would tell college grads is be prepared for that interview and be prepared for those conversations. Because um, as a listener, you always know when people have done their research. So when you get the opportunity to talk to somebody or you get the opportunity to have an interview, make sure that you are bringing the questions to them and that you're asking about specific things that interest you because if it's the other way around, it's a, in my opinion, it doesn't look great on the person obviously that's sitting there, but also it gives you the opportunity to really explore, is this an opportunity for me? Um, and then when I got in at US Soccer, it's about just trying to figure out where can I fit in and where can I make a difference? And um, many, my role changed quite a bit in the five and a half years, but just trying to get involved with conversations and. How can I help impact um, the way that we do things and how can I help contribute to the success? And um, that I think goes a long way in terms of just trying to build those connections to eventually get to where I am today. Is it your sense that U.S. soccer was sort of on the front edge of the curve in terms of federations using data and analytics? Yeah, I would say at a federation level, absolutely. Um, I think that while we didn't have the biggest group, the probably the biggest group out there, um, I think we made quite a big impact in terms of how we did things across the board. And um, I've got to credit, obviously, a lot of people back there who invested in it and who obviously saw the value in it because that was massive. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I think, data infrastructure and as well as data um, application and how we utilize it to make change and to make difference, I think it was massive. And a lot of that goes to the, the end users, right? The coaching staffs, the scouts, et cetera, that were asking the right questions. 
because you can only go so far as the people that are obviously there to utilize that information. So from a sports science standpoint, from a analysis standpoint, I would definitely say that at the time, um, a f- probably a few years ago, and even to today, that's still, obviously they're a great group and they're continuing to, to drive that forward. Um, but there are a lot of other nations, I think, out there starting to see the value in that. And that, I think, will continue to grow and people will start to continue to um, invest in that space. And when you were at U.S. Soccer, you worked equally with the, the women's team or the men's team? Or, or how did your sort of workload get split? Yeah, um, I got my in, I think, with the women's team, just with the, in the build up to the World Cup um, and where they're positioned. Um, and then, yeah, I was traveling full time with both teams. I think in the year of 2019, I was on the road for 260 some days. So um, I think I was present at 34 of the 40 national team games that were played that year. So obviously an unbelievable experience. And um, yeah, I would say I was definitely traveling with both and just trying to figure out. And look, both coaching staffs operate a little bit differently. So it's about, again, listening to what the demands were listening to what we can try to help out with and where we think that we can, there's tons of crossover because it's at the end of the day, it's 22 players on a field and you're trying to figure out if there's different ways to do things. Um, But yeah, that was an an unbelievable experience looking back um, and went from obviously France where I never thought I'd be back here now a year and a half later, but I was in the Cayman Islands. I was in a number of different areas in that year and um, yeah, great experience and something I'll never forget. What's it like living in Monaco, by the way? Because like, like aside from the soccer, I've seen pictures actually of the training facility. You mentioned earlier for Monaco, it's absurd. It's like what I would imagine <laughs> the French Riviera would be, but like, it's real. Um, what's it like living there? I, I know you work hard, but like, do you ever just kind of like look around and be like, this is not where I've been before? Yeah, it's probably, I'm probably a bit, diluted right now because it's COVID and obviously we're still on strict lockdown location or uh, restrictions, but there, yeah, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Um, Obviously it's a somewhere, a principality I've never been before. Um, I get off the plane, I think flying over the water into Nice. It's one of the, probably the coolest airports you can ever fly into in terms of views there. Um, And then yeah, drive through the caves and the mountains and all of a sudden you're in this um, city that's built out on the water and, and up as far as you can look. Um, so it's, yeah, it's pretty surreal to be honest. Um, and it, I'm still trying to get the grips of it. It's a place that you can walk across in 45 minutes. So I've done my fair share of exploring. Um, and moving during a pandemic was never easy. And, and it definitely makes it more challenging moving to a different country with a different language. But it's something the club has been unbelievable with um, in terms of helping out. Um, obviously being an American, it's a little bit different. I, I was trying to think back and look back through the players. If there were any other Americans that have been here, I, it looks like Freddie Adu had been here for a year or two, yep. but other than that, um, uh, <laughs> there's not much. So some of my questions obviously have been American specific where, yeah, it's, it's challenging about how you get a license and it's a country that kind of has their own rules. Um, so that part has been unbelievably, uh, or has been challenging, but obviously the support of the club and, and those people have been great. And, yeah, I mean, I can look out my window right now and, and see the ocean and get a chance to go run and jump in it here and there. So it's uh, it's an amazing, not only place, but also the club too. I mean, you talk about the infrastructure that we have and the stadium here is unlike any other stadium I think I've been to too in terms yeah. of that setup and how, and how it works. So yeah, it's a unique place, but it's an experience I think I'll look back on in, in, uh, later on in life and, and be glad I did it. 
how long do you want to stay there? How long do you want to be in Europe? That's a great question. Um, something obviously I haven't thought too much because I just moved out here, but um, I think for as long as the opportunities continue to come up and whether that's in Monaco or whether that's somewhere else, um, again, I'm trying to, and I'm at a point in my career where I want to experience as much as possible, but I also want to learn as much as possible. Um, and I think that I am probably running out of time a little bit to, to be able to be over here with no family and so forth. And so it makes moving a little bit easier. Um, but as, as opportunities come up that I think that are pretty much, you can't pass up. And I think this was one of them. Um, I think I'll continue to try to explore and see what else is out there. Tyler Heaps is the head of sporting technology and insights for AS Monaco. Tyler, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Tyler Heaps as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. We'll be right back.